Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is uh, Dr. Lonnie Lowry. I am a bodybuilder, and I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor. Jeez, it's almost like you're forgetting who you are. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former editor at Muscle Man International, former competitive bodybuilder, and a competitive powerlifter. Yeah. And we're doing this show, we're recording this show actually a day or two later than we normally do. Um, there was a note posted on Facebook to our listeners. So for those of you who are expecting it, I don't know, when, when do you normally put it up, Lonnie? Saturday? Is it? No, well, no, actually, usually we record on Thursday. I try to get it up either Thursday or Friday. Thursday oh, night or Friday. Oh, so, our, so our brothers and sisters are out there pining, waiting pining for this. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it, yeah, yeah right. so thanks for your patience, folks, and sorry for the delay in, in providing you with your new episode. So, uh, but re- the, well, there were several factors. Not only were you ill, of course, and I had construction guys, contractors right next to my office here making noise, but Phil's on the road, so, um, as we speak, yeah. he's probably getting ready to pull 700 pounds off. Yeah, the floor. well, yeah, it's. Uh, I was just about to mention that he's. Uh, while we're doing this, uh, our, our the Iron Radio spirit is floating over to Phil, who's yeah lifting some heavy iron. So uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing how he does, and of course we'll let yes. all of you know how he did. So good luck, to Phil. I'm sure he will, as usual, impress with his mightiness. Yeah, with his posterior chain might. Yeah, and this is his first one, actually. Uh, I'm sure most listeners know this is his first one since uh, since he wrecked his biceps. So, Yeah, back in the spring. Yeah, so I think he was hoping to pull 700, I believe. So, well, good yeah. stuff, man. It is good. And I'll tell you, there was another um, factor involved, too, that my Facebook account and my Twitter account were hacked. And I have a ridiculously long, complicated password. I don't know how on earth that happened. So <laughs> I couldn't even get on our Facebook listeners page and tell everybody, hey, the show is going to be delayed. So thank you, Rob, for doing that. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I know how that is, you know, and that, that really is a common problem today for most people under 50, you know, who have anything to do with all the electronic, you know, things that you have. Ask, social yeah, media passwords for you just you think that okay well here's one I'll never forget or you try to keep them the same but inevitably somewhere down the road you clear your cache on your computer or something and you're like you have to re-sign in somewhere whether it be YouTube or Facebook or and you're just well my problem was that they froze me out they shut me down um they they said I had to go through some type of um I had to identify pictures of friends <laughs> As a security, you know, um, proof uh, because somebody had hacked my account, and somebody did hack my account. But then they're showing me pictures. You know how Facebook is. There's a lot of um, fitness industry people who are in my friends list, and I- I'm not sure exactly who they are. <laughs> so I cu- I couldn't meet this this test. I went through, and I think I got like 90% right. But um, then they give me this n- nasty little note that says you didn't do it fast enough. <laughs> You're still pinched out. Oh. So I don't want to bore people with this anymore, but 
the joys of social media. You're right. It's uh, anyway. So here we are, and I'm going to start with some news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, last time or the time before, we were talking about something you should seek, right? Which which is vitamin D. Well, this time I'm going to tell you about something that really you should try to uh, avoid as much as possible. You can't totally avoid it, uh, unfortunately, and it's probably wrecking your uh, manhood and your physique in some way, at least on some level, and that's plastics in the food supply. Uh, I never used to think this was a problem. I saw several large reports from Harvard said it wasn't a problem. I think I even reported on this a, a long time ago, but then a couple of other labs came out and said, well... That Harvard study that said, don't worry about it, there's no problem, it was funded heavily by the plastics industry, and we see all kinds of problems with these, they're called endocrine disruptors, or, you know, um, xenoestrogens, things like that, things that actually interact with the estrogen uh, receptor. Well, once again, my friend, we find that science is a two-headed beast. One head is nice. It gives us aspirin and other modern conveniences but the other head of science is bad um so but here's something um that brought this to my attention health canada affirms bpa is safe for food contact uses so just like the fda down here in the states or different big industry groups they might say you know we don't have a, a problem confirming these things they really reek to me of commercial bias, you know, like lobbying in the Congress and, and things like that. But So this is from NutritionHorizon.com, which is sort of a food ingredient industry news page. And it says, um, 28 September 2012, in response to the release of Health Canada's updated assessment of their BPA, bisphenol A, exposure from food sources, which found that BPA is safe for use in food contact materials, the American Chemistry Council has issued the following statement. Quote, Health Canada's announcement today once again confirms that BPA is safe for use in food contact materials, said Stephen Hentges, uh, PhD, of some type of polycarbonate BPA global group. This new assessment further indicates consumers don't need to be concerned with minute exposures to BPA from food contact and should be confident in the safe use in everyday consumer products. So, again, I, I feel like I'm being placated a little bit here because when I go to the literature, let me share you, with you a couple of things now. After hearing that BPA is, you know, is okay, everybody stay calm, continue using your plastics, um, here's one. This is entitled, Most Plastic Products Release Estrogenic Chemicals, a Potential Health Problem That Can Be Solved. This is um 2011 paper. Uh, environment and health uh, perspectives, Yang et al. Here's a quote. Almost all commercially available plastic products we sampled, and they looked at Walmart, Target. They went to a bunch of big you know, national chains here in the States. Uh, almost all of the uh, products we sampled, independent of the type of resin and whatnot in the product, leached chemicals having reliably detectable estrogenic activity, including those advertised as BPA-free. How about that? In some cases, BPA-free products released chemicals having more estrogen activity than the BPA-containing products. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I've heard oftentimes in gym science or bro science, internet science, um, is that, oh, it's 
it's really fatty foods uh, that leach, you know, these estrogen-like compounds out of the bowls. But in this particular one, they looked at a water drinking bottles. They looked at baby bottles, several, actually many different plastic bottles. Uh, and they looked at different stressors. Uh, one was microwaving it. One was fluorescent light about a meter or two meters away, you know, like you might see in the grocery store. And they called these stressors. And even things that didn't have much uh, estrogenic chemical coming out of it uh, unstressed, when they were stressed, including even just fluorescent light and, yes, also microwaving, um, they started spewing these these chemicals, releasing them into the medium. And it wasn't just a fatty medium. Uh, they used water and alcohol, ethanol, uh, as solvents. So... I think a lot of listeners, to put this simply, if I did a blood draw on all of our 20,000-ish listeners, I'd see plastic in almost every one of your blood. And that's disturbing to me, right? I don't want plastic in my blood. Yeah, so, that sounds too good. Yeah, so, you know, Health Canada and down here in the States are saying, oh, don't worry, continue. <laughs> well, let's face it. You can't avoid it entirely. All you can do is minimize your exposure. I mean... Um, milk, for example, is sold in plastic jugs. Uh, but there are some things you can do. Like, for example, I'll buy natural peanut butter in glass jars. I'll try not to microwave things in plastic bowls. Things like that. I mean, but let's face it. In, in the medical industry, all around us, plastics keep things sanitized. They keep things clean. Um, we're in a plasticky world. All you can do is try to minimize it. And here's some other reasons to minimize it. Here's a study... Um, Environmental Research 2011, Carwile and Michaels. It's called Urinary Bisphenol A and Obesity, NHANES 2003 through 2006. So NHANES is a huge nationwide survey, and they look at health risk, nutrition-related health risks often. And um, let me just give you this. Higher BPA concentration was also associated with abdominal obesity. And it goes on to say, in conclusion, higher BPA exposure is associated with general and central obesity in the in the general adult population in the U.S. Now, it did it did fairly point out, and thank goodness, um, reverse causation is a concern because this is just an observational kind of study that we need longitudinal studies to make sure this is cause and effect. You've heard me kind yeah. of bitch and fuss yeah. about cause and effect. So this is, but they're again, they found BPA in all kinds of people. You know, uh, their urine. Uh, and the ones with the most had the biggest waist circumference. So not cause and effect, but, you know, suspicious, especially when I add some of these. Here's a paper um, from Public Library of Science 2012. Um, Short-term treatment with bisphenol A leads to metabolic abnormalities in adult male mice. Now, the reason I shared that last data, and I'm going to share this with you, even though it's mice, is this is adults. So the, a lot of the concerns you hear about the plastics and the estrogens and the food supply is because, oh, these are in a fetus or a developing baby or a newborn, and you're epigenetically flipping on certain switches, you know, and um, setting the stage for obesity and whatnot. But these, these two papers that I'm talking about right now, they're in adult animals. So it's not like it's only going to affect your kids, right? It's going to affect you as lifters now. And this one, um, short-term treatment, it says – BPA is one of the most widespread endocrine-disrupting chemicals uh, used in the base compound in the manufacture of polycarbonate plastics. Although evidence points to consider, to consider exposure to BPA as a risk for insulin resistance, its actions on the whole body are not clear, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, adult mice, they treated with subcutaneous injection of BPA or a vehicle, right, you know, inert placebo, for eight days. Whole body energy metabolism was assessed with in vivo indirect calorimetry. I do that in the lab with, with people all the time. Insulin signaling assays were also conducted. So what did they find? Mice treated with the BPA. They actually injected them with some of this plastic, you know, endocrine disruptor, estrogen-like substance, were insulin resistant. This is after eight days. Insulin resistant and had increased glucose-stimulated insulin release. Um, they also had uh, altered food intake, lower body temperature, and lower locomotor activity compared to the control group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this just doesn't sound good at all. So, so it's estrogenic. It interferes with your insulin sensitivity. And listeners know that's how you – that's one of the main ways you partition nutrients into, let's say, the muscle compartment versus fat. You know, the, the mice move less. And I'm going to share one more with you. Just because Health Canada and down here in the States, you know, you're being told not to worry. Um, I'm, I worry. Um, this is Molecular Cell Endocrinology 2012. Again, new papers, more or less. The estrogenic endocrine disrupting chemical bisphenol A and obesity. And I'll just very briefly. There is increasing experimental and epidem- epidemiological evidence that fetal programming of genetic systems is a contributing factor in the recent increase in adult obesity and other components of metabolic syndrome. In particular, there is evidence that epigenetic changes associated with the use of man-made chemicals may be interacting with our bodies. So, um, Well, nothing that, the, nothing that we haven't suspected for a long time, but it's, it's kind of frightening when you actually put a, for people like myself, when you know scientists like yourself kind of put it into a, you know, you start giving names to things that actually might be the root cause of it. I, I just think that, yeah, it's commonsensical that you don't want plastic in your blood like you were pointing out. And, you know, for the, these big government groups are saying, don't worry about it. And, of course, the American Chemistry Council and the guy that works sort of – it just it looks like there's a lot of financial influence there and stuff like that. It's just, what else is new? Right. So I guess take-home message – I know you're probably going to drink cow's milk. Hell, even if you go for the carton milk, it's usually lined with a waxy or plasticky substance that's probably got the plastics in it anyway. Um, and based on what I was reading before, it's not just BPA. There's estrogenic activity from other things leaching out of these substances. So I guess I could say if you can afford it, buy glass containers when you can. Um, I don't know. Um, avoid plastics when you can. Don't heat things or, you know... Go with the fluorescent light right next to your plastic jugs uh, because those will stress them and leach out some of the material. Um, oh let's face it. I mean, you've heard before, Rob, that like 100 years ago, men had higher testosterone levels. They had better sperm count or sperm motility or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think back in the day, I mean, even my grandmother's day, buckets were metal, jars were glass. Oh, wood, you know what I mean? Wood, yeah. I mean, wood, sure. yeah. And, and I think um, I think we're – Wedding technology poorly. I think I've said that before, but um, well, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. So, uh, I, and I'm just trying to point out things. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree with that on several levels: the dumbing down of America, you know, and people just losing their critical thinking abilities. But yeah. meanwhile, these big industry groups and you know even government groups saying, "No, continue to consume. Be good consumers. Yeah. You know, keep consuming." So, and again, I'm not. Health Canada has a lot of PhDs and MDs on board that I'm sure are a lot more qualified than me. But for our listeners 
for our specific population, we don't want to be insulin resistant. We don't want central obesity. We don't want estrogen and plastic in our bodies. So just try to minimize it. Um, you know, I wish I had an all-consuming list, and if anybody has great ideas, post them on our Facebook page. You know, but like I said, try to keep your stuff. Don't heat in the plastics at the very least. Don't leave it next to fluorescent lights. It's probably already sat there for a week in the grocery store. Um, <laughs> That's funny, like what you say when you go to the grocery store and the, the milk is in there, you know, in their plastic things. Yeah. With the fluorescent light. Watching the estrogens leach into it if you had the right kind of, you know, goggles on. <laughs> not good. It's not good. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hello, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lowry. I just want to offer an update on the protein and resistance exercise book that you hear about in ads at the end of the show. The publisher and I realize that the textbooks have become expensive. This one's $99. So individual electronic chapters have been made available for $20. US As with Iron Radio, my primary drive here is to get valid, reliable information into the hands of fellow lifters. So if you simply Google CRC Press Protein, you'll find the page where the book is sold. By clicking on ebook purchase at the right, you'll be taken to a page with free introductory parts of the book, as well as each chapter in electronic PDF format. There's also links uh, to other sources in this version. So whether you're interested in an academic heavy hitter like Dr. Peter Lemon sharing protein's history and strength training, or you're a biochem nerd like me and you want to just look at chapter 2 on protein synthesis and breakdown, or if you want to cut to the chase and get to a chapter on using protein weight control or case studies, you can now do so for just 20 bucks. So please check out CRC Press Protein and see which chapter topic may interest you. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. So, but I know you have some news too. That's 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 the science news um, for today. Something to try to limit your exposure to because you know bad bad insulin sensitivity and high estrogen, you're gonna look like a doughboy. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do 
Yeah. Avoid it. Okay. Well, no, the Mr. Olympia was last Saturday, so and I know for a lot of listeners, and certainly for Lonnie and I, you know, it, it, over the years you kind of start losing interest to a degree, at least, and that type of thing. But uh, certainly, those of us who do have a passion for weight training always harbor a little bit of a curiosity and an interest in these types of things because certainly for Lonnie and I, it's uh, I know not for Phil, but for Lonnie and I, that was kind of our you know that was our you know roots of weight training is bodybuilding. So even Phil will mention, I think last week he said, Oh, the Olympia is coming up. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, so. you know, I mean, as much as we make fun of that stuff, I mean, it, it, we, we'd be lying if we said we didn't care anyway. Yeah. So Phil Heath now has claimed his second Mr. Olympia title. Um, he narrowly beat out Ka, um, Kai green. Um, and if you look at photos, there's lots of people arguing back and forth that Kai was better, blah, blah, blah. What else is new? I mean, <laughs> these arguments are, you know, um, endless in bodybuilding. I think Branch Warren um, hit, got fifth, which surprised some people, but it actually surprises me he's even in the, in the Olympia because I, I just think he looks like crap. But anyway. Um, he's very... He does have that sort of grainy... Well, he gets he, mass that Yates had, but he doesn't have the wow factor. He's just been injured too many times, and you can, and you know, he can say that it's, but you can see it. And if you look at, you know, a lot of people make the argument that he looked better at, you know, thirty pounds lighter when he was an amateur. And you know what? He did. <laughs> I mean, he did. You know, Rob, I'm going to agree with that. I put, I actually picture it might have been Phil Heath on our Facebook listeners page, and his arm looked like a beanbag chair. It was. And I mean, for muscle mass, yeah, it, it's it's bizarre well, for me to even say it. But the quest for ma- for mass is over. The quest for size is over. And guys can be so big they ruin themselves. Well, the whole um, criticism that Phil Heath gets um, piled up on him is basically twofold. People say he's too narrow, and yeah, he's not naturally the most wide guy in the world. Which was something like you know, like a even a Jay Cutler hugely had advantage, right? He was just a wide guy, but. Also, what you're saying, a lot of people call him. In, in fact, at a couple boards I go to, they use the the nickname um, <laughs> um, Phil. How do they say it? Like insulin, Phil, Phil, Phil or something like that. Like oh, because boy. he's Mr. Insulin Bag. And again, this is just what I'm people are saying. So he has. Well, I'm looking at pictures of him right now on the NPC News Online yeah, he, he, uh, website. He does look a little bit like a blown up. His arms are just so massive that. They're actually losing shape in a way. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's impressive. It's damn impressive. But at the same time, I just don't know. Well, the thing that troubles me, and, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody who competed in the Mr. Olympia, but when you look at the, you know, all the athletes that actually did compete in that competition, few of them really, to me, you're kind of thinking, what's this guy doing there? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, it, there, and again, I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't know. It just it just seems to me that, you know, yeah, there's 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 several guys there that are pretty pretty amazing, you know, in their own way. But there's so many athletes now. It's almost like they're trying to pad the lineup. If that makes any sense, because I see so many photographs of guys that nobody in North America has heard of that are competing in, like, Greece and Italy and all those kind of countries uh-huh. that are mm-hmm. literally every bit as impressive from all bodybuilding you know, qualification standpoints as the guys that we have, again, filling out the lineups of our, you know, 
higher level IFBB season circuits shows. I, I and I, I stand by that statement. So I, you know, it's one of those things where people say, oh, you know, how can the uh, you know the World Series be the World Series when you know it's all American teams? Well, it's the same kind of thing. It's like Mr. Olympia is so pre- supposed to represent the best in the world and. It seems like you know it's the federation is not representing again in my and it doesn't take much to go on the internet and kind of flip around some of these national qualified shows that you know out throughout Europe and different parts mm-hmm. of the world where you see some of these guys and you're thinks well you know you'll see some pictures of some guy he on three or four shots of some dude and you'll be like. Who is that guy, and why? Like, you know, why is he not in flex? And why? I didn't know if that was just me because I I used to slave over Muscle magazines. You know, just pour over every single page, like in Muscle Mag International or Flex or what have you. And I just don't as much anymore. So I wonder is it is it just me or? But to me, it looks like a lot of the guys. Again, I'm looking at Phil Heath right now. His arm is so big. Um, it doesn't really look that much like an arm uh, it's just it's so big and again i'm i'm not against lots of muscle mass i think that's fantastic but we've said it before the guys get a cookie cutter look they're all so massive that at some point you know we're, we're definitely approaching the time where it's it's becoming uh stupid like i said the quest for mass the quest for size is over because you could be so big that you're just a twitching beanbag up there on the stage and it doesn't it just doesn't look um, impressive in the same way. Well, you know, the, there's not yeah. different physiques. There's not a Frank Zane different from Arnold, different from Platt, different from Menser. You know, that's I sound like an old fogey, I know, but you know, those guys were impressive, way more impressive than the average person, certainly. Um, and these guys would blow any of them away in muscle mass, but I'm not sure they blow them away in um, I don't know overall quality. Like you used to hear before about how. You know, the Mr. Olympia, just to compete, you have to be a, a Mr. Universe in your own right. It's the best of the Mr. Universes. And that what a neat concept. But like you're saying, something just seems to have gone off the tracks in a, in a different direction or something now. I'd, and I think a lot of it is, I was talking about wedding technology badly. I think this is one example, whether it's monster IGF-1 insulin and growth hormone use along with the usual copious amounts of androgens uh, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, everybody's starting to look cookie-cutter because they're so, just so massive. So many so of these deep. guys now, they lose and gain 20, 40 pounds within a matter of months. And you just, when you keep seeing this over and over again, with these a lot, a lot of these modern guys, it kind of turns you off, you know, because you're thinking, okay, anybody who's been training really hard for several years you know, will lose size if he stops training, but not to the degree these guys do. You know, and it just kind of, and I, I'm not going to say it because everybody knows what I'm thinking, but it just kind of turns you off because you think, well, how is that the ultimate physique? When the, when, well, when, when a guy, I know what you're saying, like, um, wasn't it Yates who, uh, he used to say, I'm, I'm going to train year-round because most of these guys don't even train year-round. Yeah, and, and I'm I mean... Thinking, oh my God. Yeah, there's something to be said for, you know, like Kevin Lavroni, I think, was the first of the contemporary guys that would really go off everything and not train for several months every year. I remember looking at pictures. He got down to, like, my size. The guy was, like, 205 pounds. Yeah, easy. 210 pounds. Easy. And, you know, I mean... You could argue that a lot of that is why he looks, you know, as healthy as he does today, and maybe doesn't suffer some of the, you know, the health complications that some of these guys do. 
and that's true as well. But I don't know. There's something just that turns. You'd me. still train those. I I can see the health no, part no, of, of no, coming no, off. I, yeah. You know. and, and the quote that you're talking about from Yates, yeah, he was. He said, I remember the quote was something to the effect of, because he was referencing. I think Lavroni was saying, and Flex Wheeler and these guys doing that, just you know, stopping to train, stop training for three, four months, and he'd be like, you know, when you love something, you do it. He's like, you love right. sex, so you have sex. He says, I love training, so I train. You know, right? It's in your nature, yeah. and it's disappointing when someone, it's not in their nature enough to even do it all the time. Yeah. And they're and they're on the Mr. Olympia stage. I don't. Anyway, know. moving on. I, this is just a brief thing I want to bring up, only because it kind of just made me. I don't know if anybody out there is maybe uh, the, our American listeners and other listeners from throughout the world might not be as familiar with Our Lady Peace. They're a Canadian rock band that kind of had their biggest day in the '90s. Um, anyway, there was a big thing in the Toronto Star a few days ago. Rockers hope their gym's a hit. Well, anyway, the. the Basically the whole band, but pre- predominantly, I think the, the the lead singer of Our Lady Peace, Rain Maida, they opened a kind of a, a one of these boutique gyms here in Toronto. Oh, okay. um, and this is becoming more of a rage. I don't know if Lonnie, if you're kind of more aware of this, but I, I, it kind of goes hand in hand with CrossFit and all these types of things. Oh, you mean like little studio type gyms? Well, yeah, like kind of. metropolitan studios. Yeah, kind of. you know, um, I, I've seen a lot of that in Toronto and New York. And he's going on yeah. about this, and he's you know saying how they're going to offer all the latest things, you know, all the you know we got you know bar, spin, gravity, TRX classes, all this kind of stuff. Um, he stressed the importance of getting that ungym like feel. Okay, well, there's a couple things. <laughs> I'll stop there for a second. When you go to a gym, don't you want to know that you're at a gym? I would. I mean, if you want to stay home and be in, your, in being in an environment that's like your living room, sit in your living room and, and watch the Dukes of Hazard. Like you know, like I don't really understand that that concept of getting that ungym like feel. It just is so foreign and alien to me because my whole thing is when I go to the gym, I want to go to the gym. I want it to feel right. like like a gym times a hundred. I want it. I want to feel that. You know, because- Rob, I'll tell you, if I can interrupt just quickly, I think that it, you're right. It is a trend, not just with these little boutique-type gyms, but um, Planet Fitness or whatever. That seems to be their whole thing, you know, that if you're too Jimmy, you're out. Well, don't they have the, don't they have the uh, what they call it? The, uh, There's a name for them. I don't know. I don't yeah, even, they have, I they have, they have that alarm, like a lunk alarm or something like that, where if, it, yeah. if you make too much noise putting down a barbell or something, an alarm goes Well, up. Phil said something I thought was funny about that. It's like, well, so you can only stay there until you're so fit. Once you're so big or so lean, they kick you out. So it's a gym for people, for you know, um, fat people who don't want to try is, is kind of what their marketing angle yeah. is, I guess. So I don't. And the next part he says after yeah, after a lifetime of martial arts, and we're talking about again the, the lead singer here of Our Lady Peace, Maida said he's not a fan of exercise machines and absolutely hates weightlifting. Anyway, that's fine. That's his prerogative, and some people do hate weightlifting. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just he's the, the way. If you read this whole piece, it's the way it's the way it's framed. You know what I mean? It's like this frame like thing, like you know that's all passe, and everybody now wants to join a place that you know when you walk in, you don't even sense that you're in a place that's, you know, a place for, where there's, you know, physical discomfort and, you know. Well, you know, Rob, they're, they're sort of creating the this, this silent um, suggestion there that if there's experienced people inside, 
they're going to be big, nasty meatheads that are going to make you feel bad about yourself and push you out in the gym and, and make fun of you. <laughs> right. And that hasn't been my experience. No. I mean, there certainly are a-holes in any gym, but mostly the, you know, very successful guys, they're, if you approach them with a sincere question and, and that guy or gal sees you training your butt off, they're usually very decent people. So I, I hate that insinuation. You know, and it's funny you say that because, you know, certainly we've been around for a very long time. and We've known guys at all levels from top to bottom. And it's been my experience, people. I'll tell you right now, the people who are the most muscle-bound, arrogant pricks, generally speaking, generally speaking, are the ones that are, you know, they're they're big. They've been training for a certain degree of time, but they're not anywhere near the best or elite. If you want, to. you know, usually the guys who are elite, the best of the best, are usually like what you're describing, Lonnie. They're usually pretty cool. I mean, all the guys that I've met and I've trained with, you know, Mr. Olympia competitors and world class powerlifters and you know, professional NFL players. Usually the best of the best are pretty cool, man. You know, it's usually the guys that are several notches below that, the little the windbags. You know, it's uh, so I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up because, again, just it's hard to imagine because you people are just hearing me talk about it. But the whole framework of this piece just kind of unsettled me because I'm, you know, specifically with that first part I said about, you know, it has a very ungym like feel. I'm thinking, geez, that's yeah. complete opposite of what I think I want. And I'm pretty sure most of the Iron Radio listeners, brothers, and sisters. I think that's why we're a subculture. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, and I think that's why there's uh, our membership continues to grow. Um, yeah. Because we're like, you know, wait a minute, we're, we might be a little bit more fewer and far between compared, you know, in to any local gym uh, meta, if you will. But we're here and we actually like iron and we like lifting. And we like trying. We like gyms, even in the classic old school way, you know, and, and I guess that makes us a subculture. But so be it. Yeah. A couple of letters I want to uh, bring up. We get lots of good letters every week from listeners. Thank you. Uh, we got a letter from Jan, and he, Jan, I, I'm assuming it's a guy, but I, I, I could be wrong. He actually is here from Toronto. He's a strength coach here. He does MMA. I think he coaches some MMA. MMA. Anyway, he's saying he's been a weekly listener since 2009 when he adopted his dog. Listen to this. You'll like this, Lonnie. Listening to your show makes my daily 10K walk at 4.30 far more bearable. That's big. That's a long walk. Dude's walking to pooch 10 kilometers every week. Like six miles. That's wow. Crazy. It's impressive, though. Oh, yeah. It's good. I mean, if you can do it. I'm sure the dog loves you for it, but wow, that's a... Yeah. Um, anyway, he he mentioned some of his favorite episodes, and that, that's kind of cool because but most this is the first email I got where somebody actually <laughs> puts his top three. His top three episodes, just for so people want, is episode 11, Dave Tate, 35 with Mark Ripito, and 36 with Bill Pearl, so... So if anybody out there wants to, you know, that's kind of cool. If anybody else there wants to follow suit and send us what your favorite episodes are, go ahead. Kind of give us a chance to see kind of maybe what direction more we should focus on. But anyway. Um, so he kind of gravitated toward the most um, famous, most renowned kind of competitors. Right. Right. So we're trying to always mix it in, though. You know, I know some of the scientists we have aren't um, – aren't household names to a lot of people and those sorts of things, but it's important to keep the mix. Yeah. So, anyway. He says, uh, yes, he is an MMA, MMA coach. He has been exposed to some of the dumbest conditioning routines ever conceived in the name of sports-specific conditioning. He says, just YouTube MMA conditioning, if you don't know what I mean. 
Um, he also, there's a couple things he wanted to ask. On a personal note, I were injured by his, his knee last year. A lot of patellar tendon pain. Um, so he shifts all his weight to his right leg. He uses left leg, but is, but is atrophied significantly. Um, any, any activity which would normally activate the quads on my injured leg doesn't. Um, he's tried split squats, single squats, blah, 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 blah. Um, he just can't feel it in his quads if his knees bend more than 60 degrees or a quarter squat. My, do my glutes and hamstrings take over? Um, anyway, he wants to know what to do about that. I, I don't really know what to offer that because I don't know. Yeah, really I'm not a physical it. therapist yeah, either. Yeah. I, there, I'm sure there's some type of physical therapy where you could work on some neuromuscular re-education to try to get the muscles firing properly. I, do, I can't. I can certainly understand that if one muscle weakens, you're going to have compensation around it. Right. Like he said, right. his, his was it hamstrings are taking up with some of yeah. the extra work, whatever. So um, I don't know. Something like I, I would think some sort of very specific physical therapy. You know, and if one physical therapist doesn't offer you something that's helpful to you, go to another one. Get another opinion. It's you have to be an active part of your own. You know, um, healthcare. My my I, my only thing to offer is just really focus for, you know, a third of a year or so forth on just specific skill training um, and really downplay the priority of the, the poundage that you're using on the exercises that you're trying to, you know, reintroduce properly into the program. Just focus on skill training. It, it's very hard. Though once a muscle atrophies to a certain point and the nerve activity really decreases, it's very hard to fire it. And, you know, there may be some type of modalities uh, certain getting certain machines involved. Physical therapists love to play with their toys, you know, all these different machines. Um, but there may be some way to help re-stimulate uh, transcutaneous, you know, kinds of electrical stimulation or I don't know what. I, like I said, I'm not a physical therapist, but I, there are there's got to be some way you could try to coax a muscle, you know, back to life. Because as um, Charles Staley used to say, actually, that muscles are the slave of the nervous system. So if the nervous system isn't firing to that muscle, you know, the muscle's going to really right. start to degrade. He also has a show suggestion, and Lonnie was saying that he knows uh, research on explosive strength. He would think that a show on the relationship between explosive strength and maximal strength would be really interesting. Coming from a body. That would be interesting. Yeah. I, and there's, um, I think we've reported in the past about how um, at least uh, explosive, like re several repetitions, it doesn't always perfectly correlate with one rep max kinds of strength. Yeah, we actually. Um, which is very interesting because you'll hear about people who they're so excited about speed work that you know some of them in the end find out that it doesn't do quite what they hoped. You know, right. um, when they should have just continued to lift heavy weights. Well, I think so, that to a large degree, you know, the whole West Side thing, you know, a dozen or so years ago, kind of. You know, push some people too far in the other direction, right? Because, you know, there, there's this famous quotes from Louis Simmons where he was saying things like, you know, if you're fast, I can make you strong. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm too strong, but I'm not fast. You know, and I kind of took up the mantle of that for a while, too, coming from a bodybuilding background. And, you know, and, and yes, but some people, people to, you know, so they start mixing in more speed work, which is great. But I think some people, like you said, Lonnie, went too far that way. And they realized that they were spending too much time just getting fast, and indeed they weren't strong. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so right. So yeah, I mean, they're, as with everything, people again, you got to kind of take everything. You know, but at the same time, I can see there's definitely a time for speed work because you could feel like you're at least not 
course. Wasting your time. You're training your neuromuscular, you know, neural mostly systems, and you're sparing your joints mm-hmm. a little bit. No, there's lots of – You can't go heavy all the time. I'm actually a big fan of undulating periodization where you go through periods of, you know – Heavy work, and then you balance that out. Maybe every every second or third session, you do speed work, yeah. or you do, God forbid, high rep yeah. work. Or, you know what's often um, referred because, to as deloading, like whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever f- yeah. phrase or you know fashion you want to carry it out. Absolutely, and I, I don't think any kind of you know. Uh, and some people are more susceptible than that uh, than others to mm-hmm. that. Like I have to be very careful if I go heavy all the time. I think I really messed myself up, to be honest with you, about when you know. It was six or eight months ago. I was doing like five sets of five with 365 in the squat. And I would just do that almost week in and week out. And I'm actually really enjoying almost the rehabilitative aspects of high rep training right now. Um, I know you were mentioning that before. Like there's nothing wrong with putting 315 or even two and a quarter uh, on the bar. And I was actually doing that yesterday for sets of 20. And I'm rocked. My legs are sore because it's so foreign. Yeah, no, it's, it's, but, it's funny. You know, it's, it's a way you can really humble you know, some big 700-pound squatters, you know, have them do you know, several sets of 10, like you say, with 225 or 315. And, you know, if, yeah. if you're not used to that, it's just like, wow, for sure. So yep. for, there's another letter I got here from Adrian. Thanks, Adrian, for your letter. Um, I'm going to direct this again towards you, Lonnie, because this is specific to your injury that you suffered a few years ago. So anyway, a- Adrian, is uh, he suffered some... Um, believe what he's saying. He spent several years in the military. He heard some elbow pain, uh, which they attributed to bone spurs. Um, anyway, he says he usually follows the same process as we do ibuprofen and rest. Um, he's Recently, he's got some weakening in his arm and shoulder. I was hoping that you guys, Lonnie in particular, could talk about injuries to tendons and other connective tissue. And just so listeners, um, newer listeners might uh, not know, but Lonnie, our Lonnie here, he suffered a very severe triceps um, injury a couple of years ago, so that's why yeah. this is why Adrian here is uh, asking for Lonnie specifically to talk about this. With Lonnie having gone through a triceps tendon tear, I was hoping to get this, his account of what it was like before the tear. Anyway, what do you think? This would be also a good question for Phil next week about his you know biceps tear. But one of the things I can tell you, and I actually wrote a case report on this. I'm I'm um, in the process of getting it published in a medical journal. Um, because I, I looked at the predisposing factors, because I was very curious, why did my triceps tendon let go of my elbow, the, electro, the electronon, right? Yeah. Why did it let go when it did? Like, why wasn't it a week before or two weeks later? Uh, you know, so I, I wrote up a case report about all the things that went into it. And um, before I get into that, I will tell you this. I have spoken to many people who have had tears, and the majority of them do not have a lot of indication that it's coming. Um, They're in the gym, they're banging away, and it just lets go. Um, And I think that's especially disturbing. Now, with me, I was in a similar situation. I I wasn't in any unusual amount of pain compared to my usual, uh, but my usual I had been ignoring for ages. I mean, I had chronic elbow tendonitis in both elbows, for years and years, and if you let that go, it becomes tendinosis, right? Those nice straight collagen fibers in the tendon, they'll get scrambled. Uh, and when, they're, when they start to wrinkle and scramble a little bit, they just don't have the same type of um, shearing strength, you know. Um, now, when people get very fit, they do get a little bit of extra tendon stiffness, 
And that can actually be good because it helps you transfer weight very quick or force very quickly from the contracting muscle to the bone and then to the bar. Um, so a little bit of tendon stiffness is actually good, believe it or not. But anyway, you could get sort of this scrambling and tendinosis, and clearly that's what I had. Um, for me, though, the predisposing factors were a couple. One is I was actually away from the gym, and I'm not saying this is Adrian's situation or many other people's, but just in this situation, I was away. Uh, I was maybe lifting twice a week. I think most listeners probably know what that's like. You're so wrapped up in work or something like that that you can only get in two or three times a week. You're you're it's, you're not doing workouts for the record books, you know. And I was in that sort of situation. I was working 50 to 60 hours a week. I wasn't eating that well. Well, one day I actually I think I had two grande Starbucks. You know, I was wired. I was feeling good, and I'm just pounding away on a very high-risk movement for elbow risk, you know, tendon tearing like this is um, lying triceps extensions. Um, now, I know some people say they, they give zero benefit. I read something Wendler recently said about he felt like all it did was wreck his elbows with zero benefit. Well, I'll agree with him that it wrecks your elbows, but I can't agree that it's zero benefit because I think tr- lying triceps extensions or hit heads or skull crushers, whatever you want to call them, I think they're the squat of the upper arm. My triceps got huge. Like, my arms are 19 inches, and that, for me, that's big. Um, doing that kind of thing, I'd get a lot of muscular soreness, a lot of growth. So, But they are hard on your elbows. And I think, um, so anyway, I'm banging away. I have a quarter on either side, warm up, and then two quarters, then two quarters and two tens on a side. And it never really dawned on me that, you know, that's like 130 pounds. That weighs more than my wife. And I'm, I'm doing it in a more or less isolation movement all on my elbows. And in my personal situation, there wasn't a pop. Um, I, triceps tears are actually more rare than some others. They're only 1% of all the different tears. Usually here, biceps or pec tears. Um, for me, it was like a, a wet rag being torn. Um, it kind of went <coughs> almost gravelly sounding. Jeez. And uh, luckily, I was having a grad student spot me, but the the disturbing part was that I can't say there was an enormous amount of pain, like stinging pain, while it was happening. Yeah. Um, it, the bar was just collapsing, almost like if you suddenly took a, a piston uh, or a jack was holding up a car and it started losing pressure and the car would just start to collapse. That's what was happening. The bar was collapsing toward my forehead, and I couldn't exert any force. I mean, other than your triceps, what do you have? Your uh, the anconius? That's like a little two-inch long muscle that straps your elbow. That's a little assister muscle. That's not going to help you very much. So a um, couple of things that I learned about that was, and I've talked to other people, there's not usually an enormous amount of deep muscular pain. Um, it's, it's a disturbing feeling. It, you can hear it. Um, there's not a lot of warning in advance. Uh, for me, like I said, poor eating, lots of caffeine. I mean, you think about caffeine, and my research with the explosive muscle function really looks at, um, I'm very curious, not about caffeine's anti-fatigue effects, but what does it do with the motor cortex? What does it do with dumping electricity down your wires, to put that in sort of lay terms? Um, calcium release in the muscle, the analgesic effects, uh, you know, that might deaden a little bit of the pain. Uh, so I think the poor eating the detraining and the buttload of caffeine that I had drank beforehand, I was in a great mood and fired up. And it was like rep four or five, you know, out of maybe a six to eight rep set. And it just, it just let go. But I learned a lot because I went to the emergency room and 
they gave me ibuprofen, said, go home. You got a strain. I said, you don't understand. <laughs> I said, you know what? He took an x-ray. I'm like, that's not going to show anything soft tissue. You need to, I need an MRI, please. Oh, okay. Here, you know, here's your ibuprofen. All right. So I call a surgeon friend of mine. I'm like, you know, clearly I have a, a triceps rupture, 100% rupture. Um, over the next two days, my I have pictures of it I should put on. My, my wrist to my nipple, just black um, from, you know, the... Just the the the, bru- the massive bruising, the effusion, it was just bad. Um, remarkably, I was still able to extend my elbow, partly because of that little anconius muscle, partly because the guy told me that the sheath around the muscle um, is still connected. So even though the triceps had retracted about an inch, you know, because it's under tension, it's going to, there's nothing to pull on. It's going to shrink up a little. It's not like it shrunk all the way into my shoulder or something, but... Uh, it really surprised me that you still have quite a bit of function uh, because of the tendon sheath uh, or the uh, muscular sheath and the, the fascia, the soft tissue. And, Rob, you and I have talked about that before, that you train surrounding systems, too. So you become quite resilient. Um, who knows? If, it, if that would have happened to somebody who hadn't been training for 20 or 30 years, they might have lost almost all ability to extend their elbow, yeah. you know. So I think I had thickened some of the surrounding tissues. But anyway, I, I think I've probably told this story ages past. So the point is I'm writing all this into a little case report, and I think everybody's a little bit different. But if you do have chronic tendonitis for a very long time, just know that that could become tendinosis. You could get some scrambling, and you could feel great in the gym. It's not like I was really aching when I went into the gym that day. Uh, one of the risks with what Phil and I do, and Rob probably to some extent too, is you know, if we take three or four ibuprofen and plenty of caffeine before we work out, you will have some analgesic effect there. You know, you you have to make sure you're using those things to treat inflammation, not to mask pain. Yes, and that's a good point because that's the and, exact reason why I usually don't do it before I train. And I yeah. certainly understand the reason why you and Phil sometimes do that. But I don't. Well, because if not, if not, I'm moving about only about two thirds of what I could. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and like again, I certainly understand that. But from my vantage point, um, and I certainly my situation is not the same as yours and Phil's. Um, but yeah, I kind of like you know I, I like to feel the little aches and pains when I'm trained because that gives me my indicators of you know what's good that day and what's not. And yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not like ibuprofen masks pain like an opiate. I had an old um, biology professor used to say, aspirin, ibuprofen, they don't erase pain if you think about it. They just help it bother you less. Well, for, for so, me, it just seems to make everything just. And again, I, I realize that you know I don't suffer quite the aches and pains that you know for different reasons that you and Phil do. So, but you know, I, I find that I just everything feels. You know, I feel like I'm 18 again if I, you know, take 1,200 milligrams of ibuprofen. And, I mean, that's great and it's fun and everything, but I, I, I just like to have all those indicators. Well, you have a much thicker uh, skeleton and frame, I think, than either Phil or I. Um, Phil's pretty tall, but he's got long arms, and, you know, he's not as – he's not like I referred to you before. You're sort of like a refrigerator. You're like this three-dimensional uh, rectangle <laughs> to me, and that's you always make very, me, that's, that makes you very robust. You always make me sound so aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it makes you very robust. Whereas you know, like like I see guys in the gym and their elbows are like cannonballs. You know, and when they lift, their skeleton is bearing part of the load. And when I lift, my whole little body is shaking under four hundred pounds. You know what I mean? I mean because muscle tension and tendon tension is the only thing holding that bar over my head. And it's just it's it's just hard, and I, maybe that's why I need more recovery and whatnot too. I'm just not a heavily 
heavily built person. But. A couple more emails. Um, got a nice one from Teague in New Mexico. Um, sent me a lengthy uh, email, and yes, we like those too. Um, told me all about his situation and some funny stuff. And God, we always like the funny stuff. But he was just uh, briefly. He says he loves milk. He did the Go Mad uh, program for a few weeks, and it worked wonders. I believe that's just squatting in lots of milk consumption. Anyway, his skin got really gross. Gross is the word he used. I did some research and found that's pretty common with high dairy consumption. He since, since cut the dairy out, things have gotten better. Um, well, I'd just like to know if this is a common problem among lifters. So just just briefly, Lonnie, uh, do you have any? Okay, yeah, we only have a few more li- minutes yeah. left, actually. This is obviously just a news and reader mail episode here. Um, I do know, and I've heard some physicians talk about this. There's not a ton of uh, science that um, dairy is it, – it can worsen inflammatory states like skin, acne, things like that mm-hmm. uh, in some people, in susceptible people. Uh, certainly it doesn't happen to everybody. I drank copious quantities of milk throughout my youth and never had any kind of issue with acne really. Um, but um, it, it's very insulinogenic. It does exacerbate certain inflammatory systems and, you know, uh, but at the same time, drinking something that provides a quality protein like casein and stimulates insulin release from your pancreas, that can be great for gains, for muscular gains. Ah, dairy goodness. Um, so I, I still drink cow's milk. I drink a lot less than I used to. I, I actually mix in certain times I'll have a glass of, like, almond milk or coconut milk or something like that, but... Was there anything else? Yeah, or? one more from Luke. Could you guys spend a little time talking about multivitamins? Are they even worth it? Do you take them? What main nutrients and doses should we be looking for? Uh, again, a question that we have touched upon in many different angles before, and I, I responded to this gentleman saying that uh, from my vantage point, and I kind of stole this from you, Lonnie, years ago. You once said to me, you know, it's just a good insurance, you know, insurance policy. It, policy every day just to have a multivitamin and I kind of took that to heart and that's basically why I do it um, I'd say most days of the week you don't even have to do it every day I've spoken to physicians who are just convinced you don't absorb a damn milligram of anything or microgram of anything when you take a multivitamin multimineral hmm. um, I can't I, I've actually done literature searches on this looking at the bioavailability and all I can say is um Although, yes, we have a lot of nutrients snuck into our food supply. Well, snuck's not the right word. Placed into the food supply by the government. I mean, like vitamin D in your milk, A and D in your milk, uh, B vitamins and iron and stuff like that in the enrichment laws in all of your grain products, your breads and your, and your pasta and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yes, a lot of it's in the food supply. But I still think it's an argument that we don't see scurvy really in the population. You know, we don't see beriberi. We don't see pellagra. We don't see a lot of these defici- vitamin deficiency disorders, partly because multivitamins, they must be absorbed on some level, I would think. Um, I don't know. I-, I wish I had better information. Like I said, I've actually looked, and it's, it really seems to be up in the air how efficacious these things are as far as absorption. But there's an RDA, uh, recommended dietary allowance, or an AI, an adequate intake, for all the vitamins and minerals, I think the best thing you could do is look up on the RDA and uh, tables. Um, they're part of the, actually all of the tables to get collectively are called the DRI, the Dietary Reference Intake Tables. 
look them up. Often they're on the front cover or back cover of a magazine or I'm um, sorry, a, a book. Uh, and that'll give you the dose of each thing because there's just an, a, a copious number of vitamins and minerals we'd have to cover. So. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, certainly in the bodybuilding and weight training culture, you know, taking multivitamins or vitamins has always been something that's kind of been just done, you know. So, you know, was it worth it to do it? I, I, I tend to say yes. You know, I do too. I take one, like I said, most days of the week. I don't fret if I miss. There's certain, yeah, exactly. And, there, and there's certainly not, you know, we're not talking about a hyper expensive uh, thing. I mean, you know, it, it actually, here's a little side. When I started bodybuilding, you know, back in the, you know, 80s, mid 80s, certainly the animal packs or you know, vitamin packs that Weeder and these different companies were, you know, pushing. Mega packs. Mega yeah. packs. Yeah. I, I would certainly buy those and. You know, I remember one day, probably in the mid-90s, where I realized that, screw it, why am I spending so much money on these animal packs or mega packs, whatever, when I can just buy, like, you know, a, you know, a, multi, a centrum or a multivitamin of some, and that, that's what I've, that's been the route that I've gone for 15 years now. And like I say, you go into any drugstore and, you know, you can buy a bottle of those for six, seven bucks. The only bucks. thing that I would consider beyond that on occasion would be a vitamin D, which we've just discussed before. Right. Um, and then I'll take a the lowest dose antioxidant I can find because the lower doses are much higher percentage absorbed. Uh, and Walmart, uh, I believe, has one. Maybe Target. I can't remember wh- where I get it, but essentially uh, you get the lowest on one you can, dose one you can find. Um, sometimes they're sold as like um, eye antioxidants or Occuvite type things. Um, and I'll do that during hard training to try to boost antioxidant defenses. I actually wrote a book chapter once on this because there's a, there's a lot of debate. Uh, when you start to train, your body will naturally upregulate its antioxidant defenses, mm-hmm. uh, glutathione peroxidase, and there's a couple different ones, SOD. And anyway, um, but the debate is whether or not it, your body does it enough. So if if I'm doing something like contest prep and I know I'm under a huge amount of stress and I'm training literally every day, whether it's cardio or lifting, almost every day. Um, and, and my dietary intake is very limited. Mm-hmm. I'll add sometimes I'll add an antioxidant in, you know, A, C, E, um, selenium, uh, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, going low dose. And I agree with you though, Rob. It's tradition in bodybuilding, and probably powerlifting too, just to try to cover all your bases with a multi. And again, uh, the, the, the you know, obviously, if you're really hurting for cash, it's probably not a big deal, but. It's cheap. Multivitamin's cheap. You know, like even like Lonnie says, if you even pop one every two, three days, whatever. It's just it's like like he, you know, you said years ago, Lonnie. It's like a little bit of an insurance policy, and so what? You know, I mean, even if you only get a ten percent boost from it or benefit from it, cheap enough. You know, if if multivitamins were fifty bucks a bottle, I might be different about it, but. Right. It's not. Hopefully something getting your, your system, something good sneaking into your system instead of just plastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plastic to, to bring the show back to the front, which we have to do because we're out of time, amazingly enough. Um, yeah. Well, it's good to just to do a little bit of news and, um, and reader mail. You know, there's good questions in there. Absolutely. So keep the emails and letters coming, folks. Um, and next week, I'm sure Phil will be back on the show and we can hear about his lifting... Um, hijinks. <laughs> See how he did. Hopefully, uh, as as with powerlifting meets and these types of straw men type stuff, that hopefully he won't injure himself. Um, 
and that he will achieve what he was hoping to do. Success, yeah. Because, see, we've talked about it before when you injure yourself. Certainly there's always a little bit of trepidation with that, so... Um, so this will be good for him because it'll. He's got a realistic goal, though. Yep. You know, if he pulled six thirty-five pretty recently, and he wants to do seven, and in his best, he's capable of eight. I think he's right on, right on the track. Yeah, you know? for sure. So I hope he's doing well today. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in as usual. And we will. We're always here for you. We will never miss a week. No, our brothers and sisters, we're here for you. Our our brethren. Anyway, we'll talk. All right, we'll see you next week. Next week later. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the -the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount. However, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place. That's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns. If there are any on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.